Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is your Maxxis Tyres pre-race show for round five of the Downhill World Cup here in Andorra. Maxxis is the name you think of when it comes to racing and performance and it's not surprising that Maxxis have won more than any other brand in the history of both World Cup and EWS racing. No matter where or how you ride, Maxxis has the tyres for you with a wide range of tread patterns, casing and compound options. I've spent the last few months on the Asagai 2.5 Max Grip in their brand new XO Plus casing up front, combined with the DHR Double Down Max Terror on the back. The Asagai hooks up and provides insane grip across a wide range of terrain, where the DHR Max Terror rolls and wears pretty well, but has great grip and amazing braking traction. It's thanks to Maxxis that I'll be in Andorra at the weekend to bring you the best insight possible into the racing that we all love. I learned heaps in my time in Lenzerheide last week, and I can't wait to get stuck in Trackside at Andorra too. Maxis are also going to be giving away some awesome merch bundles throughout the season and all you need to do to be in with a chance to win is to share this episode in some way on Instagram and make sure you tag me at Downtime Podcast and at Maxis Bike in the story so that we can pick a winner. You can check out the entire range of Maxis tyres over at maxis.com and find the tyres at your local Maxis dealer. You can also give them a follow on Instagram where they're at Maxis Bike. All right, we've got a brand new track to find out about and some insanely hot weather, which is no doubt going to impact the track and the riders. So let's chat with Chris Kilmurray and get all the info ahead of this weekend's racing. All right, Chris Kilmurray, welcome back. Fresh off uh, some exciting racing in Lenzerheide. How was your trip over to Andorra? You're there already, yeah? Yep, five hours to Morzine, ten hours to uh, Andorra, so... Same old, same old. We've done, we've done this trip a few times before, or a variation on it. So, quick, quick stop in Morzine for a, a high five with the family and a, a cup of coffee, and off you go again. Good stuff, man. Well, let's let's briefly touch on the Lenzerheide results. It's uh, doesn't feel like long since we chatted to, to Nico and Elliot about this, but always good to get your take on it. Anything that kind of stood out? Anything that surprised you? Any big changes or shocks in all of that from from kind of all of the the uh, elite and junior ranks? Um, I think the biggest surprise was just how much quicker everyone went for for finals. Yeah. Like the men, the average improvement across the field for the men was 3%. It was 5.3 seconds, which is, I'd say, a second and a half to two seconds more than what you expect. Uh-huh. Um, same for the same for Amory. Like Amory went five and a half seconds up. Uh, Finn was eight seconds quicker than his qualities. Uh, Menard was almost eight seconds quicker than his qualities. Miriam was over eleven, almost twelve seconds quicker than their qualities. So I think that was the big, the big standout was that the track had finally come good, like, or it, the new sections had come good. There was no moisture in it. Everyone was keen. You can kind of see that in the live feed. Well, you might have noticed it because you were there for the week, but the top riders were just cutting the line, going as tight, as straight, as fast as they could. So yeah, I think that was the big standout was just how hard everyone went for finals. Yeah, impressive because we we walked the track on the the, the night of qualifying, um, and Elliot was wondering whether people would actually manage to best their qualifying times because the track was getting, you know, more beaten up, more hold out. Um, so yeah, to see riders be able to use that to their advantage, that dry condition, and that and maybe that sort of re- uh, repeatability through some of the the newer sections, like it was less likely to throw you offline, I suppose. Yeah, it's honestly strange how how it worked out. I think the the new stuff, you know, bedded in got wild, uh, but it was definitely always going to get faster. Just as people got more comfortable with what was on the floor, and just risked it for for finals. You know, I think up until that point, people were kind of like, Ooh, "There's a lot of stuff on the ground here. There's a lot of things I can't see. There's a lot of 
little micro variables that I can't control. So people were just a little bit tentative, a little bit cautious. But yeah, once the clock was on for finals, the track was bone dry. The weather was perfect. The fans were everywhere. I think it was just full gas. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, Amory Piron's run was a big leap kind of above the other guys, really. The re- sort of second to fifth was split by 1.4 seconds. He was 1.4 ahead of the rest of them. That that ride, though, like I've watched the helmet camera. I've obviously watched kind of the, the, the video, the Red Bull footage. It didn't look like super crazy or anything, you know, like it wasn't rolling the dice, it didn't seem. It just looked like a very, very confident run. Like when he threw the bike over in the woods turn, that you saw on Red Bull, like the, the amount of angle that he could put on the bike, and he's just in a really good spot, huh? He's a big fan of angle, Amory. He's a big <laughs> fan of the edge of the tire, which is uh, which is cool. And I, I saw he'd gone back onto a Magic Mary on the front um, for finals. He was on the prototype Schwalbe tire all week long, so that was that was good to see because I think of all the tires, you can trust you can trust a Magic Mary on the front. So okay, um, that was super interesting to see that he, you know that. He's at that level now where you need to make those those small small changes for finals to really, really be confident to run the bike on the edge of the tire, to cut the line, to go as hard as you can. Um, I think for Amory in that run, he didn't win all the sectors. He only won two of the sectors. Um, so he wasn't, you know, hands, hand and fist above everyone else. Uh, visually, he's always super impressive. So when he wins a finals, I think everyone just kind of goes, "Wow, that's you know phenomenal! It's insane! It's all the superlatives come out." Uh, but if you check the sector times, he, you know there was other guys who were faster than them or equal to his pace. It was just sector three, the tight corners after the the, the road gap into the really really steep stuff. He dominated everyone, and he dominated everyone there in practice on on Saturday morning as well. And it basically gave him just over one second advantage on Finn, and he already had point three, and then he kept that to the finish line. So yeah. that was kind of how the how the race was won, let's say. Uh, Finn was actually quicker through sector four than him through the wall section and pretty much on par with him right to the bottom. Um, so it was literally just that one 30 seconds, 28 seconds that he dominated and won the race. Fair play. And Miriam Nicole, back to the Miriam Nicole we kind of know and love. Like that was an aggressive run from her, definitely pushing the limits a bit more. Yeah, I think uh, as she said herself, um, I found my fire. She she lit her fire. That's what she said in French. Um, she she had a, a bit of a pep talk from one of her her competitors who's not racing. I won't mention who. And um, it seemed to it seemed to help that she realised that actually, you know, all, all the work she's done, the the slow build back from from the concussion and Lord, that the last piece of the puzzle was maybe just her intent and her effort, and she just wanted to give it for finals, and it worked out. Because like I said, 11.7 seconds quicker than Qualies. You could, you, that kind of shows you that Qualies was a little bit lackluster. Yeah. And finals definitely was not. No, impressive and good to see. Yeah, for sure. And were you in any way surprised to see Rachel Atherton kind of in the mix there? Like where where were you kind of expecting her to, to shake out? I've, I've not actually checked her, her sector times. So I'll do that live as we speak. But <laughs> it's kind of, I think initially a lot of people, you know, when she was... When everyone realized she was going to racing, people who know the sport, you know, the people who are at the races week in, week out, who it's, it's their career, kind of said, oh, either she, she'll practice and won't race because she'll feel a bit just overwhelmed and, you know, the, the, the difficulty of the track, especially with the new sections, or she'll get a podium. That was kind of the two extremes that most people were going for. And in the end, she was kind of, you know, just just off podium pace. Um, 
and we're missing Marine and, and Tani, obviously, who, you know, give or take are always on the podium. Um, so I think it just shows you two things, really, that, well, three things, that, you know, credit to Rachel. Uh, class always shines through. She beat a lot of women who were who were training full-time to race downhill World Cups. Um, and she's literally just been riding bikes and, and looking after the family. Um, and it shows you how how much the, the women's level has grown since 2019. Um, and Rachel was was a big part of dragging everyone along before that, just Tani especially. And then since then, the ladies have just been battling, and here we are. So, well, let me check the let me check the gap. I can't right. remember off the top of my head. Yeah, she had, she had some good sectors up top, and then and then faded at the bottom. So. Four, five, six, ten, ten was the sector times. Okay. So the, the the pace isn't going to go anywhere, is it? I think it's just all the the pieces of the puzzle that require long term work, like training, racing week in week out, preparation on that side of things is is what she's lacking. And if she gets that, she'll be most certainly creeping up the results results sheets pretty fast. Interesting. Good to see for sure. Right, let's chat a little bit about Andorra then. Um, we know we've got a brand new track for this year. It's moved. So a, a completely different part of the mountain, from what I understand. Uh, what what do we know about the track so far? Um, someone said to me last night. Someone who's raced it said to me last night, "It's very regional, as if it's like a regional race, which <laughs> which doesn't bode well." Um, it's the highest start we've had since, in terms of altitude, the start lines at two thousand three hundred and fifty meters. Uh-huh. So it's the highest World Cup start we've had since. It's higher than Maribel. It's higher than the old Andorra start. I'm I'm looking to Sierra Nevada 2000 maybe. Okay. The last time we had a start that high, so it's there's definitely the elements are going to play a, a big role. Um, it won't be super physical from from what I understand. It's it's relatively fresh. It'll get big holes, but it's not going to have your classic huge holes that the, the more weathered and degraded World Cup tracks have. It doesn't have the, the big long sprint at the bottom. It doesn't really have a key section like Liu Gang or Fort William where you've got the long rock section in the middle or the pedaling at the bottom or the steep woods in, in Liu Gang. Um, it's got a really you know, consistent gradient and it gets quite tight at the bottom, crosses some roads, goes into some forest. So what we're looking at is a big bag of unknown, really. We've got wind to play with. It's exposed. It's really dusty, rocky, loose. It's got some huge road gaps and some big berms at the top for about a minute. It's kind of like... What, what's been described is it's it's bike park, but it's bike park for World Cup speeds. It's not your average bike park. It's 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 a big, fast um, minute to, to get into things. And if, if it's windy, if it's sunny, if the track's blown out, if it gets super dusty, it's going to be super hard. I think, you know, a lot of riders will see a helmet cam here and there and they'll be like, oh, it's not hard enough. It's not it's not technical enough. It just looks, it looks bland on a GoPro. But the reality is when you're trying to keep your average speed of, you know, 45 kilometers an hour for a minute, as you're boosting over 20 meter step downs and inside in huge holes, it's it's a big challenge. Um, the pit setup's gonna be weird. The elite teams are gonna have a small pit at the finish line, and then the pits are gonna be the main pit, which, which we always have at Andorra. So there's gonna be a to and from battle um, with shuttle buses. The riders will be able to ride down to the finish line, but then have to get a lift back up to the pits, but use the different lift to access the tracks. So, terms of logistics and managing mechanicals nutrition food that sort of things is going to be super interesting and where the margins are on the track like how the race is going to be won like we just talked about with amory's steep section in Liu gang is unknown we don't even know where the splits are yet so 
yeah, but lots of unknowns more than knowns, that's for sure. Yeah, and we've got a few riders with uh, at least a little bit of local knowledge, and they're the kind of riders that are already pretty dangerous as it is, and that's Loic Bruni and Greg Minari both live there now. Does that sort of local knowledge help with a track that's as fresh as this? It's There's more than them. There's Bruni, there's Bruni Minar, Vergier, uh, Angel Suarez. Um, there's Tom Estac doesn't live too far away. Any of the Capensal riders, it's a second home almost. So um, I don't know if – it's hard to tell. Um, the, the way the hill works, you know, here in, in, in Valnord, the bike park, it, it's got striations that kind of go around and down. So it's, it's real slaty, rocky in spots. The dirt's quite good in other spots. It's super steep in some spots. And then the side of the hill or the portion of the hill where the new track is, is pretty consistent in terms of the, the dirt. So whether it'll whether it'll be any true home advantage or advantage from knowing the region, I'm not so sure. Especially because the degradation of the track, given what the forecast for the weather is, is, uh, is probably going to be one of the key factors. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. The forecast is insanely hot this week. I think like 39, 40 degrees C on the weekend, um, which I guess, like you say, means the track maybe will deteriorate quicker than normal. The ground's going to be super dry. It's also going to be very, very hot for the riders and add in that logistical challenge of the pits being further away than normal. How How's that going to affect things or make it tricky? Yeah, the elements just in general, I think spending all of that time outside, very little tree cover, high high uv you know uv from from the sun as opposed to i think at the altitude we're at up here it won't be really hot temperature wise you know it'll probably be mid 20s celsius um but the sun will be strong your eyeballs will be heavily taxed dealing with the bright light all day Uh, nutrition food you know micro stressors and mechanicals not having your pits at the bottom especially if you're not an elite team Um, all of those factors are going to be pretty they'll be well managed that's for sure everyone's going to manage it pretty well but regardless of how well they're managed they'll still just creep away at energy levels creep away at, at the motivation and the ability to execute a finals run and as we saw with amory's win last week um every sector counts even if you don't win it so yeah i think all of those factors are going to be pretty critical and when it comes to wind when it comes to um managing the the variables that are dealt out for your qualifying and your time to run it's it's going to be who adapts quickest and who who understands how to craft and create their race run the quickest so i think it's just gonna be a big week of work yeah and an even bigger week of work i guess for the for the team staff by the sounds of things because they're the ones that are going to have to try and manage this pit layout and logistics to try and keep that off the rider's plate yeah it's not like i think well you were in lenser so you saw how nice it is most of us are staying in in this pretty brand new accommodation, you know, the Priva Lodge, uh, which is basically right beside one of the corners of the XE course. It's about, you know, 500 meters from the pits. The lift takes six minutes. Everything's central. There's a beautiful lake. Um, everyone's just kind of, the pits are spread out a lot along the, the, the long mile, but it's, everything's super close. Whereas here we've got pits in two different places. We've got a huge hill with all the accommodation at the very bottom. So yeah, logistically, it's not a nightmare, but logistically, it's a way bigger challenge. So I think you're going to have to be dialed in terms of your your organization, your daily briefings, your who who does what, who's, whose role is what, whose responsibility is what. So at, at the sharp end with the, the big teams and a lot of staff, I think communication is going to be a big one this week. Yeah, how do you manage that? Do you guys use like radios or something? Like, how do people all stay in touch and make sure they know what the plan is? 
Um, radios is the normal one, um, and then text message. You know, radios for for quick messages when you're on track um, is is pretty common. I also have a radio with me. Um, goes straight back to the pits. You know, all the mechanics that have it let me know when the riders leave the pits, and I can up- update them about mechanicals or other issues. Um, and then we have uh, different groups, WhatsApp kind of you know groups for for text messaging information of different kinds. Uh, but a lot of people don't have data access here in Andorra. Yeah. Um, some people can't even pay for it depending on what, what your, who your carrier is, what country you're from. So that's going to complicate things, I think, a little bit. So that's another layer of logistical nightmares. So actually, the brand new track isn't the problem. It's just the logistics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a logistical challenge weekend. Yeah, well, totally, and it, yeah. some, of these, some of these teams, are, I guess, are, are very good at that. Like I'd say comments are muck off for starters seem to have that side of things pretty well dialed. Like I think they make the races' lives pretty easy. They, they've they've also got a, a pretty a pretty substantial work workshop here, Kemensal Mukov um, uh-huh. in Andorra, not not just Kemensal, the actual Mukov team. Um, so they've got a, the, the difficulties of um, a home race and the pressure of trying to win at home, but they've also got um, the advantages that they have of of having their their workshop and their offices literally at the bottom of the hill. So yeah, it's 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 going to be super interesting in that regards. I think most of the teams. The ones with the experience, um, you know, with experienced staff, experienced riders, I think, you know, briefings in the morning, briefings in the evening, good communication throughout the day, adapting on the fly, but sticking to your principles, all of those kind of things. It's, it's Essentially, it's just going to be another race, but you're going to have to adapt and communicate like the small little details very quickly to make sure mistakes are made that impact the end result. Yeah, for sure. And there, there was a pre-race here a few weeks back. I think it was a sort of a local race, which a number of the, the top World Cup riders went to. Um, do, do you know who was there? Have you seen much from that? Like That's, that's got to be a um, beneficial. Yeah, a- Angel Suarez was there and, and Thomas Estac, um, two guys I coach. Uh, so I got some good info from that. Uh, Nico Malali raced it, as I think you talked about before, or talked yeah. about in your, your post-show at Lenzerheide. Uh, Minar was here. Um I'm pretty sure Lars raced it. Did Lars race it? Lars did race it. I saw it. his name, yeah. Yeah, he, he raced it instead of racing European champs. Um, and then obviously a lot of a lot of riders that, you know, I think the, the fans may not know, you know, some, some fast kind of juniors and um, younger riders who will be racing World Cups next year, for example, raced it. Um, uh, Amory didn't race it even though he lives here in Andorra. And uh, none of the comments on Mukov with the exception of Miriam raced it. Miriam raced it though. Um she was really keen to see how the jumps rode to make some recommendations before the World Cup. I think it was one of Miriam's big, big reasons for racing it. Okay. Um, and I think everyone was, the feedback I got was that the, the top section was super fun. Uh, some of the lower down stuff was too tight, too slow. And the bridges, there's, there's a couple of bridges used to, to cross fire roads. Um, and they were also a bit tight, but kind of say la vie, they had to be there. Um, there was... The, the big piece of feedback was was a couple of um, wooden bridges used to cross certain features. And it was very easy to get them confused early on in practice. And there was actually some huge crashes, some huge accidents where people confused the bridges and jumped off the second one when they should have rolled the second one, for example. So I think just being super smart in your track walk and uh, paying attention to all the details in a brand new track is going to be key this week. Yeah, I guess the the riders that have that ability to to learn a track from scratch are probably going to benefit so in a way it's a level playing field to some extent because most people haven't been here but then i guess experience yet again shines through in that right in that the kind of process and how you work your way through a track 
yeah, I think there's going to be a, a micro advantage for that first sector where you've got the high speed corners and the jumps for the guys who raced here already. Um, so any rider who raced here, I think will feel a little bit happier rolling out of the start kit first couple of runs. They'll have an idea of the speed and the direction they need for the big jumps. Um, but beyond that, it's yeah, who, who learns things the fastest, who adapts the quickest and who, who applies themselves uh, early on in practice to learn, to really, really put the effort, the focus, the attention to learning the new track is who's going to have the advantage come qualities. And, and what goes into that is, is something I'm, I'm really keen to actually research because I don't actually understand. No one understands what goes into learning a track well and learning it fast. So that's definitely something that's on my, on my list of t- my, my big to-do list. And your reading list. <laughs> no, my, I, this is going to be a research list. I think an actual, an actual research project because the, just re- reading the theory doesn't seem to cut the mustard, I think. Interesting. Are, are there particular people that you'd pick out as being good at that, but you just don't know why they're good at it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I think off the top of my head, I can't really give you names as to who's good at it. Um, I can give you some ideas as to why you might be good at it. Uh-huh. But yeah, really, really challenging. I think a lot of people have this similar issues that when sections, corners look the same, when the dirt's the same color, when when the way marks, the features around the track aren't very distinct, when things look kind of similar, that's when people take, it takes time to learn breaking points. It takes time to learn features in the track. It takes time to learn direction and when you need to pull out of a corner early or late or, you know, your position, your vision and your direction are all related. So I think it's when things look similar, it's when people... <clears throat> struggle to learn uh, a new track so yeah it's it's really really it's probably the most one of the most interesting kind of facets of a fast mountain biker is how you learn a track so fast you know yeah well we can watch uh, plenty of people try and do that this weekend so that would be that would be good fun <laughs> let's talk a little bit about momentum um amory clearly has a good chunk of it at the moment and this is a really good point in the season for that hey we're just we're just over the halfway point the season really gets going like we're back to back here then we've got the flyaways and then we come back to europe for for worlds and the finals in val so like the season's moving at a pace now there's not much time off uh amory is in a very very good spot with that huge buffer in the overall of pretty much a race and uh and a big chunk of momentum yeah, he's in a powerful spot. And I think, like like we said in the pre-race show for Lenzerheide, it's, it's after Lenzerheide and maybe after Andorra when, when the cards are kind of fully played and then you're 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 in management mode or you're in a, in a scenario where you know you know how the overall is going to be won or you know how the overall can be won. And Amory for the elite men is in the driving seat massively now. And unlike Thibaut last year, who had a similar advantage at this point in the season, Amory's got his advantage fair and square, whereas Thibaut got our weather. So mentally the momentum is most certainly on Amory's side yeah. and I think he said himself in a post-race interview that he was feeling good in Lenzerheide the track had come to him he was you know he knew he could get a good result and his big goal was to was you know to, to get a margin in the overall because he knew he could and and to have that mindset where you know that attacking is how you win the overall that's a a powerful spot to be in so it's dangerous for everyone else that's for sure definitely and in in the women's racing i mean I, I think it would be fair to say that cammy had the upper hand until race day in Lenzerheide, but like we said that was a very convincing win and step up in performance from miriam do you think that gives her the upper hand here from cammy hmm, that's a fantastic question um at this point in time i'm i'm not counting cammy balanche out for anything ever again for sure yeah um she's she's matured as a racer re- extremely quickly uh, the last kind of 12, six to 12 months, especially. Um, so anything can happen. 
and for any of the categories anything anything can happen we still we still have enough races left that crazy things can happen like last year um but <clears throat> let's say scenario wise if if miriam smashes this race by a similar margin then the momentum is most certainly with her if cami or another rider smashes this race then things are still to play for for the rest of the season so because the miriam the the ladies races overall title battles is, is quite a lot tighter than the men's so yeah I think we I think we need we need this one out of the way before we can really start playing the momentum game with the ladies. Yeah, and out of anyone, Cami seems to have a very strong mindset. Like I could see her not being impacted hugely by Miriam taking that win in in comparison to say some other athletes. Like she seems very strong mentally. Yeah, I think she'll she'll learn from it in terms of how Miriam did the job she did. That's that's how I see Cami will approach it, which is fantastic, and it's why Cami's progressed as as quickly as she has. Um, it, you know, it's it's not an emotional roller coaster or a, a a big pile of ifs and buts and whatever else from Cami. It'll just be a case of this is what I did, this is how I did it, this is how Miriam did it, this is how Miriam smoked me. This is what I can learn. Let's move on. So yeah. I'm I'm excited. The ladies' races. I'm I'm, I'm sad that Tani is not here. I'm sad that uh, Mahine's not here. Um, you know, the having those extra two women. To, to battle that out would be fantastic because the field then the depth would be phenomenal um so that's that's a bit of a bummer really especially from my point of view coaching tani for so long um but uh, yeah regardless it's it's so exciting to have a genuine battle across the board you know definitely and do you think we'll see uh, some moves forward from valley i mean every sort of post-race interview i see with her this season she seems to be more and more down on herself and it's it's kind of mm-hmm. sad to see because she's such an incredible talent and clearly capable but uh, like seems to be in this downward spiral mentally that's where it's really starting to get to her well yeah m- momentum uh momentum goes in in every direction you know yeah i think uh momentum is a is a well, you're an engineer it's a vector quantity you know it has a <laughs> it has a speed a speed and a direction it's not just uh it's not just a scalar you know so um it can go anyway and currently valley's trajectory is you know slightly the other way and i think from what i heard in some of the interviews myself i think she, you know she's maybe thinking that crashing in race runs crashing under the pressure of the clock is is a, a characteristic or a quality she's developing uh-huh. when in reality it's just circumstance so um i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna help anyone for free but I think there's there's probably solutions to Valley's conundrum that are, are pretty obvious, uh, but those sorts of solutions are, are easy to see when you're outside. When you're inside, you're in Valley's position. It's it's far more challenging, um, and I think as as long as Valley you know has the right people around her and continues to to work hard, she'll be absolutely fine in the future, um, and she'll probably benefit long term more from these sorts of situations than she ever ever thinks herself. And you know, T- Tani went through not not a similar situation, but Tani went through similar things where you know mistakes and issues and timed runs early on in her career were uh were prevalent and um, really slow sector ones were prevalent in tani's career and we just chipped away at the work and got to the point where tani just barely made mistakes in race runs won every sector one won every sector five basically um so change is possible anything is possible so i think yeah valley just needs to Keep her, keep her head screwed on and pointed in the right direction. You just need the right people around you to help in, in these scenarios. Yeah, for sure. All right, before we uh, before we wrap up, how many common styles do you think we're going to see on the podiums this weekend? 
well, there's a few I'd like to see because I, I coach a few. Um, <laughs> um, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I don't know. I think we could, arguably, we could see, uh, well, we already see a lot of comments. We have three comments in the Elite Ladies podium. Monica Rasnick is someone we should have spoke about. Monica had a uh-huh. fantastic race. She was right up there in a couple of sectors, actually. So after being crowned European champ. Um, so I think, you know, ladies field, we could see four commensals up there potentially uh, men's field yeah. we could see five <laughs> yeah yeah um the junior on the junior side i think that some of the commensal junior racers are having a, a tough battle in their junior careers which is good for their elite careers but not so good for the podiums at the moment um but yeah we could definitely see let's say a, an 80 percent podium rate across the board for commensal i think yeah shouldn't be too bad of a weekend for max but uh we'll see how it goes well we I'll, see uh, no, we no commensals either that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes so let's wait and see yeah see what happens all right well i'll uh i'll see you trackside later in the week i hope the track walk and first day of practice goes well and uh yeah see you before the weekend bring your bring your mask you're gonna have a lot of dust to deal with so nice one all right cheers chris see you soon All right, that's it for this episode with Chris. I really hope you've enjoyed it and make sure you don't forget to watch the race over on Red Bull TV this weekend. A huge thanks to Maxis for supporting this season and making it possible for me to be here. Maxis have incredible tyres for you no matter how or where you ride. So head over to maxis.com or visit your local Maxis dealer and check them out. I'm currently running the DHR Max Terra in the back and the Asagai Max Grip in their brand new XO Plus casing up front and it's a combo that's working really well for me. So why not check it out for yourself? Here's a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you never miss an episode. Forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch. And forward slash EP if you'd like a copy of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. As always, spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. Until next time, get out and ride. (laughs) 